Welcome to Working Girl Talk, the podcast for working women, where each week we cover the latest headlines the businesswoman needs to know about, and we chat to boss women making an impact in their industry. I'm your host, Abby Zufeld. Hello, welcome to Working Girl Talk. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I I hope you've had a great week, and this episode will surely be a great finish to your week, so I'm very excited for it. Before we dive into the interview with Sophia today, we are going to dive into some headlines that you need to know about, or maybe they're just fun to know about. We'll see. These ones today are a little... Not as newsworthy, but a little fun. So the first one, the best news of your day is brought to us by a marketing dive. Who would have thought that Blockbuster would save us in 2020? What? So Blockbuster is turning its last remaining store location in Bend, Oregon into a limited time Airbnb rental, according to media reports. The space for guests to enjoy a quote end of summer sleepover per the Airbnb listing has been revamped to look like a 1990s living room complete with a fold-out bed and bedding inspired by the video rental company's heyday. It is so cute, the the picture of it on their website. It is so fun, and I honestly didn't even realize Blockbuster still had any locations left, so pretty fun, and what a great idea. So the property will go live on Airbnb August 17th and will be available for for three one-night reservations from September 18th to September 20th. So if you are in Bend, Oregon, definitely check it out. Yeah, very fun. Oh, and it also says bookings will cost $4. Is that true? Wow. Okay, pretty cheap. So we'll see. (laughs) But very cool. Just thought that was fun. Hopefully that brightens your day to all of you 90s lovers out there. I feel like lately I become so nostalgic. Anytime I see anything 90s, like those 90s meme pages, I just love it. It's so nostalgic. Next story brought to us by The Verge. Disney's recently acquired 20th Century Fox TV studio is the latest to have Fox ripped off from it. So with the company announcing this week that it'll be rebranding the studio to just 20th Television as part of a larger rebrand for all of Disney's TV studios. So cutting Fox is out of its acquired brand is a requirement of the deal that Disney got control of 20th 21st century Fox's assets last year according to Variety so they have to cut Fox out of everything because the obviously there still is like Fox Sports Fox Business Fox TV Fox News those are all still together but the rest Disney owns if you have Disney plus you've seen like the Simpsons is on there stuff that like that that was originally 20th century Fox is now just 20th television and it was funny because the article the author was like why didn't they keep 20th century like why is it just 20th television also it's not even the 20th century anymore like wouldn't this have been a time to update like so I just thought that was funny but yeah so you'll be seeing some changes to that also Additionally, Fox 21 Television Studios is getting renamed to Touchstone Television, which is a TV brand that Disney stopped using in 2007 as the company works to remove the last traces of Fox from its assets, which I thought this was interesting because I don't know if you remember, but as a kid watching TV, you'd see the little like Touchstone after a TV show. Like I think like Boy Meets World, like shows like that would have like Touchstone. Don't quote me on that. But it does ring a bell. So that's funny that they're kind of bringing that back. So 
some changes for Disney. Last but not least, our last story for the day, kind of a fun one. So brought to us by social media today. Every year, Domo releases its Data Never Sleeps chart, which provides a quick snapshot of what's happening online every minute of every day. This one for 2020 is very interesting because we have some updates because of coronavirus and everything going on. People are online more than ever. So here are some interesting tidbits from it. Facebook users upload 147,000 photos. Twitter gains 319 new users. Instagram users post 347,222 stories. YouTube creators upload 500 hours of video. Zoom hosts 208,333 participants in meetings. Netflix users stream 404,000 hours of video. That is just a fraction of what is on there. It's super interesting. So definitely check out Domo's release of Data Never Sleeps. If you just type that into Google, it will probably pop up. Very interesting. We are spending a lot of time online this year, but what else do we have right now? So that's our little news update for the day. And now heading into our Working Girl Talk interview. I'm so excited to share this interview with you. So a little bit about Sophia Sunwoo, our guest. Sophia Sunwoo is the founder of Essence Strategy, where she helps women-led startups get their companies off the ground through startup coaching and programs. Ascent helps entrepreneurs build startups that see six-figure launch years, a 50% growth in sales within three months, and a business that feels easy and simple to build. Yes. Also, fun fact, Sophia is a former Forbes 30 Under 30 honoree and has been recognized for her entrepreneurial endeavors in Forbes, Elle Magazine, and on the TEDx stage. She co-founded and built her first company at 19 years old and sold the company before her 23rd birthday. That is what we like to see. In 2011, Sophia co-founded Water Collective, a nonprofit that has helped over 80,000 people in Cameroon and India fix and prevent broken water projects in their communities. She is amazing. I'm so excited to share this interview with you. We talk a lot about her entrepreneurial journey, also mindsets that prevent you from growing your business and expanding in your career and how to combat those, also building a startup that is attention worthy and we talk a lot about branding. So I'm very excited to show this episode. Please enjoy. Super excited for today's episode of Working Girl Talk. We have Sophia here. Welcome to the show, Sophia. Thanks so much for having me, Abby. Super exciting. So we're going to start off with just a little brief intro about you. So can you give us just a little who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Sophia Sunwu. I have been an entrepreneur since I was 19 years old. I'm on my third business now, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know, my current business, I actually work with female entrepreneurs to help them grow their businesses, build them. Um, it's a huge passion of mine because I spent pretty much like over a decade of my life being a female entrepreneur that just didn't know what in the world they were doing. So I wanted to create a business to really guide women to step into their power and actually build a business quickly and uh, empower themselves to make their own money and turn their ideas into real businesses. I love it. And I'm sure the audience is like, yes, because that is exactly what we're all about here. So we love it. Love it. <laughs> we're going to go back in time. So where'd you grow up? What was childhood like? Were you always like the entrepreneur, even as a kid? So I was born in New York City and I grew up between New York and New Jersey based on where my parents were. But 
both of my parents were actually entrepreneurs. So I grew up around that hustle and just seeing how hard my parents worked and also gaining perspective on just how much entrepreneurship changed their lives. Like my dad came to this country with $2 in his pocket and by like a couple of years, maybe like eight to 10 years, we had like a home in New Jersey that they bought in cash. It's something that I've always been surrounded with. And even, you know, with my first business, like my co-founder, she had started a snow cone business when she was 12. So I've kind of been surrounded by entrepreneurs my whole life. I love it. That is awesome. You've done a lot of cool stuff. So let's start with your clothing empire out of the dorm room. <laughs> How did that start and get like the scoop? Because I'm sure my audience will be like, wait, what? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. My college roommate, Bestie, we both love going to punk rock concerts when we were young. And the thing is, when you go to those punk rock concerts, there's a lot of band t-shirts that look great on men, but not on women. So we really wanted to basically create clothing that looks good on us. So we created a company based off of our need. And we, on a whim, decided to buy a booth at like a local music festival because we thought it would be fun. And it kind of just blew up. We, it accidentally grew to like 250 retailers worldwide. We had these like celebrities trying to buy us out in the first year because it just like hit so much traction. And we had Miley Cyrus uh, wearing our hoodie in People magazine. So yeah, I think it was just right place, right time, right moment. We just really hit on a pain point that a lot of women were struggling with. And because it was so potent, actually a lot of men started wearing our clothing too, which was kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, so that was kind of the clothing empire and how that started it was pretty much an accident <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome what did that specifically look like are you making shirts in between classes dive into the specifics a little bit I don't know like how we understood this so young without having been seasoned entrepreneurs at that point but we had the intuition of let's make this as easy as possible so we partnered with American Apparel and got just blanks from them and then you know, figured out the types of designs we wanted on our clothing and just partnered up with a really great screen printer that we trusted, that understood kind of the nuance of our clothing. I think that with whoever you work with, it's all about nuance when it comes to style. So uh, we just like put all those pieces together. So we were doing that between classes, like, you know, creating those partnerships and relationships and figuring out colors and working with uh, graphic designers to kind of help us bring these like handwritten designs and doodles and turn them into a lot more crisper images. So yeah, it was in between classes. And, you know, with that also came like the not so fun stuff like operations and financials. So yeah, we just kind of did all of that after school. <laughs> and we somehow found time to fit that all in. That is awesome. And I like that right away you were already like, okay, we need to find someone to help us here and help us here. Because I think sometimes as business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever you're working on, you're like, oh, I have to do it all and be the expert at all of it, which most of the time you're probably not going to be the expert at all of it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's something that I uh, adopted really early. Like I really understood that the more that I try to do things myself, the more mediocre the company would get. 
So I think for me, I was like such a uh, go-getter, trophy getter that like the thought of being mediocre was just terrible to me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I definitely kind of went after the good people and let them speak for, for me as far as the quality of the clothing goes. How did you discover that Miley Cyrus was wearing your shirt? Like, did you stumble upon it? Did someone tell you like, I need to hear more about this moment? <laughs> Yeah, so my business partner, she was good friends with Miley's brother. I think his name's like Trace or Tracy. I don't know. I think oh, it's her Trey. older brother. I think he wasn't he in like Metro Station, like the band. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So his brother had one of our hoodies and wore our stuff all the time. And I guess Miley got really jealous and like just took it from him once. And then she like ended up in Disneyland with a fan. And that's how People Magazine took a photo of her. We, I don't think we found out about it until like a couple of friends told us. We like had, because it was like a more like paparazzi candid photo, we just had no idea it wasn't planted. So yeah, luckily a couple of friends told us about it. <laughs> that is awesome. So cool. I love it. And that kind of goes back to the whole, what you're talking about, like building a network and connections. Like that was kind of like a unintentional, like, okay, the brother and then her. Yeah, that was like a really strong marketing strategy for us back then. Like we really understood the power of influence and we really early on like went strong with influencer strategy as far as like finding bands and uh, people that we knew were influential in our demographic and just really relied on them to help catapult the brand. So, you know, in that case with Miley, that obviously took it to epic proportions. But yeah, I think for us, like we were just really, really gung ho about like the influencer thing is where it's at. So I want to talk about selling that company and moving on to your next one. So what did that look like? I know you said you had gotten like some offers in your first year. So how did that go? Like saying no for a while and then finally saying yes. Yeah. So at first, like all the people that were wanting to buy from us, to be kind of blunt, there were just a bunch of dudes that were very, very famous, but they removed kind of the female aspect of why we started the brand to begin with like there was definitely like a female empowerment aspect to it so we said no to all of them just because we were just like we think that you would strip the brand of like its beauty and why it's popular to begin with so uh we ended up selling the company to two women which was great like there was a lot of alignment there and you know the reason why we decided to sell that company was because my co-founder and i after having run that company for a couple of years, we were realizing like, oh, the fashion part is really cool and the branding aspects are really fun. But at the end of the day, this is a manufacturing business, right? Um, we're going into the business of manufacturing and like my co-founder and I both did not have our dreams set on that. So uh, I was still in college when we sold that company. So I went to a lecture and the professor was talking about how we can use business and design to solve climate change. And that talk kind of just blew my mind. And it really spun me into this new direction of figuring out like, how can I do that? How can I be a part of that conversation? And I met my co-founder, Josh, who had been working in clean water since he was 15. He had work in, worked in um, Kenya and Southeast Asia. And I was the person who knew how to build businesses. It was this really perfect synergy. And uh, even with that, it was kind of this 
uh, I think that like with the first business, like there's been a reoccurring theme in my life where I always want to challenge the status quo. And it was the same thing with the second business where there's a lot of water charities that people donate to, but people don't realize that a lot of those water pumps, whatever water, clean water solution that you donate, those break down after three to five years, like about almost half of them in many parts of the world. So even when you promise someone clean water, it doesn't mean forever. And that like feels really crappy as someone who uh, is a donor and has donated to those causes and for you to feel like, wow, like I actually perpetuated like a really negative problem of just promising people something, but um, leaving them behind as soon as that thing breaks down. So uh, that was the mission of the second business. Um, we worked with a bunch of rural communities in Cameroon and India um, that had broken water systems. And we worked with them to repair them or if they were starting a new, installing a new water system from scratch, we would basically create like a maintenance package so that they wouldn't fall into that statistic of we have a water system that's broken down. Like, hey, that's us. Like we didn't, we wanted to push people to the other side of that. Very awesome. In the pre-show questionnaire I sent you, you mentioned that the leap to get to Cameroon was an invitation from a prince. Can, <laughs> yeah. we, can we talk about this? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what my parents and Josh's parents were thinking, like letting us go to a country after understanding how we were invited. So yeah, we, at first we had a lot of trouble finding like a community to start our organization in. And we just got this random email from a prince in Cameroon who like sent us this whole proposal about this water project that he wanted to start with our help. <laughs> like for some reason we were so desperate that we're like okay like let's do this we bought a plane ticket and we met him at the airport and I don't know how or why our parents agreed to this but they let us go and uh I think as soon as we landed and we were there it kind of sunk in like what did we just do this is an insane thing we just did like why did we accept an invitation to someone's home um, that we've never met before. So that was kind of crazy, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it worked out for us. Thankfully, um, that helped us launch the whole organization. We ended up meeting a bunch of other communities that needed our help and it really helped us network in the country. So not all princes that you get emails from are bad princes. <laughs> There's the takeaway of today's show. There you go. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> Over the time of running the no the nonprofit, what's the biggest learning lesson you learned there? Because I'm sure going from your more like clothing business to this was way different. So like biggest learning lesson or I guess difference between the two. The reason why after six years, I ultimately had to leave was the challenge of working at a nonprofit organization is just something that I can't handle. It's very mentally, emotionally, politically Toiling. It's not something that I have like the brain power to carry all at once. So I have a lot of respect for people in the nonprofit space. Like the fact that you're able to have like a project management brain and then also deal with the emotional heaviness of your work and also deal with like the social psychology aspects that you have to deal with and the politics. Like, whew. so I think for me, like my biggest learning lesson was just like very much an internal learning lesson of. 
I really thought that I could do everything, but when I had all these cards kind of stacked against me, I really began to understand who I am as a person and I can't really work in a line of work that places an emotional and social, socially psychological burden on me in addition to like the business stresses of running a business. So for me, the lesson in that business and the differences was just like understanding my limits and like really being like, yeah, you could do anything that you set your mind to, but not if you go crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's such a huge important lesson for anyone listening because like even if you can do it, maybe doesn't mean you should. Yeah, and having that like self-awareness and the ability to listen to your voice is like so key too. Like I think the reason why I was in it for six years because I numbed that voice for so long and silenced it. So yeah, it's such a process and a journey for sure. Definitely. Which leads us to now. So I want to talk about Ascent Strategy and how this idea came about and the process of starting your own aid company where you're helping other women. It was really a big jump for me because it was the first time I was building something without a co-founder. I realized like through the self-awareness journey that I was actually using my co-founders as a crutch and I was actually extremely fearful when it came time to starting the third business. I think like that was like a huge theme as far as like the, what sparked this third business as far as like this journey isn't just like a business journey. It's also like a personal growth journey. And a lot of our personal holdups honestly stop us from growing our business to the level it needs to be. So there was that aspect I really wanted to integrate. And, you know, I had been in the startup space for over 12 years or so at that point when I started my third business. And honestly, I wasted a lot of time. I wasted a lot of time sorting through a lot of information that wasn't helpful. I had a lot of trouble finding information that specifically related to how do I turn my idea and convert it into money? Like that conversion conversation is really hard to come by that's uh, really useful and is applicable to a, like a small business owner that's not looking for funding. So I really wanted to help women sort through all that noise and uh, gain access to information that is actually going to uh, take them from idea to paying themselves. And um, yeah, and it's been, it's been so wonderful to kind of be in that journey and to be kind of that pedestal for women that are really have that burning desire of, I want to quit my teaching job and I want to sell jewelry that is really beautiful and modern and really helps the women that wear it like step into uh, like the modern, like empowered woman that they want to be. So yeah, that's kind of been, you know, the inspiration by a sense behind a sense strategy and, um, why I wanted to start it. I love it. So cool. So awesome. So with that, let's dive into some of the specifics and pick your brain a little bit. So everyone needs to start taking notes. And (laughs) so this is going to be good. So because you work with startups so often, what do you think is the biggest reason or I guess most common mistake people are making about why they're not generating consistent revenue? Because I know when you're starting a startup, it's up or down and kind of all over the place in the beginning for a lot of people. So why is that happening for startups? 
you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, like that DIY mentality is huge. Like when you rely a ton of your time on doing everything yourself, you kind of push your business down into a mediocre level. Uh, I think also uh, what makes it really hard for startups to make money is they kind of go into charge full speed ahead into building a business without understanding, like you can't build a business just like DIY by yourself, unless you actually develop and gain that foundational knowledge of how to build a business. Like I think a lot of, because of like the veneer of all this information, free information that's out there to build a startup, people think that they can rely on that in order to build a startup. But just because there's a ton of information, it doesn't mean that it's good information, right? So what I really recommend to entrepreneurs is that if you are really committed to building a business that makes you money and you can like get out of your other full-time job and do this full-time, you need to be taking that foundational lesson, that foundational course, similar to like if you go to college, you can't get a degree until you take your foundational courses. So it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. Like you should be getting a full speed course on marketing and sales, operations, financials, all of that stuff. Like if you learn that in your corporate job, it's completely not the same thing in the startup world. So like really respecting like how niche this industry actually is and understanding that you actually have a lot of studying to do, I think is a huge kind of mistake that entrepreneurs overlook um, due to a lack of respect, due to the veneer of there's so much information out there for us. So I'll just rely on that. So yeah, I, I, I hope that makes sense, but it's like, it's kind of like this. I don't know if you watch Black Mirror, but it's like, I feel like the entrepreneurship startup world has created this like weird, like matrix of like, it's really easy, like four hour work week life, like Tim Ferriss did it so you could do it too. But when you're actually in it, it's actually like completely different. And the reality is actually really hard and stressful. And you actually have to do a lot of homework. Maybe it's like the social media aspect too, where you kind of see this perfect life of like, oh, this is what it looks like to not be working corporate anymore. And it's like, oh, like mm -hmm. it's so easy, but you don't see like how many hours, like the blood, sweat and tears that is going into that. There's also like the blood, sweat and tears is important, but there's also um, a tipping point with that where it becomes masochistic. So even having like that nuanced conversation with experienced entrepreneurs to be like, hey, by the way, like how much should I be hustling in year three? <laughs> and is this, is this telling me that I'm probably not doing the right things if I'm still hustling in year three? So like conversations like that too, super important. You like to talk about like the personal life struggles and how they impact our ability to grow as business owners. So can you kind of talk to that a little bit? So how are your personal life, how is that affecting your growing business in a good way, a bad way? I think that mindset is everything. Money mindset is obviously a huge one. Another big one for women is visibility. I can't tell you how many female entrepreneurs I speak to where I, get, I show them the facts and say, hey, in your specific industry, you do realize that video is the highest converter when it comes to sales. But the idea of them going like on their Instagram stories, like with their camera in front of their face is terrifying to them because that fear around visibility is less so about the business and more about themselves. Like they're so mm -hmm. afraid of being judged and what people will think of them. 
And that's very much a personal struggle and a personal gap or obstacle versus like a business one, because I'm showing you the facts. And from a business perspective, like the numbers say that you have to do this because it's going to like catapult your sales. So um, that's a huge one. And I think with money mindset, like if your money mindset is not in a solid place, a lot of female entrepreneurs, this is, I see this like so much more before I kind of went into this niche of only working with women. I did work with a lot of male entrepreneurs. Never have, have I had a male entrepreneur come to me with worries about pricing, but it's the number one thing women come to me about because it's so tied to their self-worth and with pricing, if you don't have your money mindset in the right place, it's so easy for your mindset to manipulate your pricing where it's like constantly getting lower and lower. You're constantly trying to do sales because you have this strong desire to be liked and to be polite to your customers. I mean, I can go on and on about this topic, but those examples are very strong examples of things I see a lot in women. And I see them, I see these mindset problems like really manipulate their business for the worst. But that is so true. Like your own insecurities, your own, like your personal feelings about yourself really do impact your business like that. How many times are we letting our own personal thoughts or struggles that we have affecting our business? I That is, wow. There's like the golden moment today, everyone. Take notes on that <laughs> and assess too. Like I wonder what other things that you're like, maybe you're holding you back and you don't even realize it. Yeah. I mean, like negotiations, like so many women get negotiated down. Like even if you work at a corporate office, like salaries, you don't ask for enough. And when they come back with a number, like you accept it rather than like pushing for like, no, I deserve this. So yeah, it kind of goes on and on. And I think that it's really, really important for entrepreneurs to always have like a self-awareness thermometer whenever they're making any kind of decision. Like if you ever have a moment where you're immediately saying no to something, that's a pretty good red flag that you need to look at where that no is coming from. Is it coming from your personal insecurities or is it a sound business decision? Yes. Wow. That is such a good mindset to have. I love that. And you mentioned pricing, which is something that I wanted to talk to you about because I saw on your Instagram recently, you had that post that said like two reasons why your pricing shouldn't be affordable. And I was like, Ooh, like that's like a headline. <laughs> so can you just kind of talk about pricing? Cause I know that is something that a lot of women I've talked to struggle with. And even I like it is, it's like, a concern like how much is too much will they not do it if it's that high like it's a concern for people for sure yeah so I love that post because I think it like really summarizes pretty quickly just it reveals for us how easily our brain plays tricks on us and how easily our insecurities plays tricks on us when it comes to pricing so uh my example with that is you will never see a customer of a Harley Davidson or of a beautiful resort in Bali ever complain about the price. They're happily willing to pay those prices because those products have done such a great job of being like, you're either in our like group of people, you're our people or you're not. And if you're not like, you're not in our club. And I think Harley Davidson does like a really like poignant job of that. And, um, because they've done their brands have done such a great job of communicating to their customers 
this is why we're special. This is why we're one of a kind. This is why when you stay in this resort, uh, you're going to have a memorable time. Everything will be taken care of. You're going to feel like a princess um, because you're going to be showered with attention, um, things like that. Uh, so with those two products, no one will ever complain about the price because the brands have done their homework of showing their customers, this is why we're worth what we're worth. This is why we're special. And this is why you're not going to get what we give you from anyone else. With that mindset, you have to understand, like, if your brand isn't in that place yet, how do you get yourself to that place of being answering those three questions of how are we special? Like, why do we give you something that no one else gives you, et cetera? And uh, when you've done such a great job with that branding, like your audience will find you and be like, tell me, you know, how much it costs and like, cool, sounds great. You're like a Harley Davidson, but for health and wellness. And I'm totally down to pay that price. The only time that people argue against your price are those people that are outside of that circle or people that are just regular people that don't understand the specialness of what you're offering. Those are the people that are, if someone's like into bicycles, but not like they're into bicycles that you commute in, um, but they don't know anything about motorcycles, of course, they're going to see a Harley Davidson price and be like, what the heck is that? I got my bicycle for like a hundred bucks. So you really have to kind of frame your pricing within that example of like, yeah, people are saying no to your prices because you're trying to sell a Harley Davidson to someone who wants to ride a bike. So that's kind of, you know, my take when it comes to pricing and like how, why you really shouldn't be affordable because for your people, they are not going to bulk at the price. They're going to know exactly why you price it that way. And they're going to respect how special it is that you're offering. I love it. That is awesome. And I like those comparisons too. It is different. Like just two different audiences there. Like the bike may be good for one, but the motorcycle is good for another audience. You're working with startups all the time and a startup launch you want it to get attention and be attention worthy. So do you have any tips to build a startup brand that is attention worthy? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. The ones that kind of come to top of mind to me is having a voice and a personality almost to the point that you're a human being is really, really important when it comes to uh, creating an attention-worthy brand. I think that in the beginning, when we're starting a new business, like we're so insecure about like, it, will people like it? Is this a good idea that we tend to kind of or to the side of what is my biggest corporate competitor doing and let me kind of copy some of the things that they're doing so that at least I know I'll be accepted amongst my audience. So the problem is with that is that you just blend in and people are kind of like, oh, you're a co-working space. Well, your branding is similar to WeWork. So you just reminded me of WeWork and not your co-working brand, right? So um, I think that what you really, really need to focus on is like, how do I move away from the corporate veneer of like whatever my competitor is doing and like really figure out what my personality and brand voice is. So I actually wrote a piece about this and compared it to Billie Eilish, the singer. Like, I think she's a really, and I encourage people to read this on my website because it's like, I feel like it lays out really well, like how to create a brand worthy brand. I mean, attention worthy brand. Um, Cause she does a really good job of like Billie Eilish. She's this pop star, but she's not your typical pop star. She wears like super baggy clothing and she wears like face masks all the time just because, and uh, she's really taken the stance of like, sure. I sing pop 
esque music, but I'm going to come to the table not under the umbrella of a pop star image. Like I'm not going to be wearing like something uh, that's really flirty and feminine. I'm actually going to take the opposite approach to that because this is my voice. This is a personality that I decided to adopt. And I know that because I've done this, like people remember Billie Eilish and they know what I look like whenever they hear my name. And that's like the same kind of stance that brands should take as well is like, how can you be unapologetically you and really show up as that brand? Because first of all, that is like, you tick off every single check box of what you need to do in order for people to remember you and to build an audience that are your super fans, right? Like people really don't fall in love with someone unless like that chemistry is so specific to them. It's kind of like when you go on a date, like you don't just become interested in anyone. You become interested in that one specific person that like likes South Park because you and because the both of you like South Park and you both are like into comic books and that kind of chemistry and that specificity is what really compels people to be attracted to another person. And it's the same thing with brands. So like the more of a voice you can develop, the more specific you get can get is like such a huge thing when it comes to creating an attention worthy brand. So um, I think that's like a huge thing is just like having a voice, having an opinion, like no one wants to go to a dinner party with someone who is just like agrees with anyone and doesn't have anything perspective to give like have a perspective so that people remember you um I think another I think the brilliant brands are the ones that take it a step notch up and actually figure out how to integrate themselves into your memories so um this is kind of like a bonus tip for brands that are trying to really like up level their attention worthy game so um there's this brand there's this like youtube channel called hot ones and oh. hot ones is that yeah, the, they like the wings is that mm-hmm. yeah cool yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so that brand is really cool i'm pretty fascinated by them because they figured out a way so hot ones is this show on youtube where um they have a whole line of like hot sauces some of them are their own brand and they interview celebrities and different personalities and like as the interview goes on the wings get progressively hotter people lose their mind and it's just really funny and this brand has done such a good job of their their thought process is I need to sell hot wings, um, this hot sauce. I need to sell this hot sauce, but no one cares about the hot sauce. Like what people care about is the memories they get from their friend eating a ghost pepper hot sauce and how much they freaked out. So they kind of like took that idea and they're like, okay, let's interview celebrities, but have the focus be like, all the crying that they do from the hot sauce and like them freaking out. And the show is just super funny. Um, But while we're doing this, they're eating our hot sauces. And, you know, by setting that up, they then sell their hot sauces on their online shop so that people like me and you can buy those hot sauces and reenact that same scene with our friends. So now this product is ingrained in my memory because the last time I ate it, my friend um, Kim was freaking out and it's freaking hilarious. And I tell all of my friends about the hot sauce and that's like referral marketing right there. So brands that really understand how to integrate their products into people's memories are the one that 
really kill it when it comes to creating like a super attention-worthy brand. That is such a good example. I think they're pretty brilliant when it comes to all that. There's a lot of brands right now that are really taking storytelling to another level and are just super fantastic about it in execution. Which is so cool. I love it. And it's great for the consumer too. It's very interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. A lot of people stick in the same job their whole life or they're afraid to branch out into something new. So what would you say to somebody that is, they have this idea, this dream, but they're too afraid because they do feel safe in whatever their career is in, whether it's corporate or whatever. Like, so what would you say to somebody who does have that fear? The fear is completely legitimate. It really sucks to not be able to pay your bills. And what I encourage that person to do in that situation is to test as much as they can like can you create like a pilot test run and like for me what produces a viable business is how much can you sell your product outside friends and family right so for that entrepreneur who's interested in taking the jump but are scared to what I would encourage them to do is to actually do a sales run and test out if they can sell that product beyond friends and family because that's the true testament as to whether you have something that has legs to it. And what I encourage people to do that's super easy is that there are a lot of brands right now on Instagram that have million plus dollar revenue businesses and they don't even have a website because they've decided to use Instagram as their sales floor. So if you are testing out a new idea, I really encourage you to do something like that where do as least amount of work as possible. Don't set up a website. Don't um, register a company. Like don't do all the official stuff yet. Like just focus on selling and like do it on a place like Instagram and see how it goes. Cause that'll be all the proof you need as far as understanding, like, is this worth the jump into quitting my job and like really pursuing this thing? So are you ready to head into the working girl talk top 10? Drum roll, yeah, please. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. First one. First thing I do in the morning. First thing I do in the morning, unfortunately, is look at my phone to see any emergencies, and then I can kind of go about my day. I feel you. I'm a phone per. I I do it too. Everyone always says it's bad, but I yeah, <laughs> I'm guilty too. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be aware, like you know, if something went wrong, it's like that's my priority. And if not, like, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think that like people say like people who go after their phones aren't being thoughtful, but I think that I'm personally being thoughtful. I'm obsessed with blank right now. So anything, a TV show, a song, a food, what are you obsessed with right now? So I'm actually obsessed with writing right now. I actually have been in my spare time, like really using like writing poetry as like a art form creative outlet so I've been super obsessed with that right now very cool I love it and next one my first job ever so my first job ever was working at free people and I continued to work for the free people family for like forever I worked at three different stores in three different cities so I was working there for a while favorite skincare beauty or self-care product Mm, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Drunk Elephant. Love everything that they have, and they have such great products. Favorite account to follow on Instagram? As of late, there's this uh, account called Rainbow Salt. She's a writer, but she writes these like 
heart-wrenching poems about love and like loss and like having crushes on people that I think are so relatable so I really recommend people follow her Ooh, awesome I have blank at my desk always I always have my airpods at my desk I'm like an avid music listener and I always need some kind of like ambiance when I'm working I actually have this subscription to this really cool brand called brain fm they actually help you drop into like concentration state through like brain science music in 15 minutes yeah it's really cool cool. (laughs) yeah i definitely recommend checking it out it's really fun and it works pretty well Ooh, i need that especially now when everyone's like work from home like we need some concentration Mm -hmm. so that is a good one absolutely next one this one's a little bit tougher best advice i've ever received View your entrepreneurial journey journey as a marathon, not a sprint, because if you take that mindset, you'll actually respect the heaviness of burnout. Like I suffered from burnout really heavily after my second business to the point that I couldn't really work for a year. Like I just didn't have it in me. I was even like scared to go to networking events and talk to people about business. So I was just so mentally done. Uh, so I think really understanding that statement entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. I'm really taking that heart to heart, especially when it comes to burnout is so important. Love it. That's great advice. Next one, favorite book, show, or podcast, any type of media that's had an impact on you. My favorite book that has had an impact on me is The Alchemist. Uh, I read that book whenever I need like inspiration or I'm feeling down and I need to like know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think that book is just really, really inspirational and helping you understand that your journey is not, uh, it's not dependent completely on you. There are other forces in the universe that are kind of conspiring to help you achieve what you want to achieve. Proudest moment as a business owner. Yeah, I think my proudest moment was uh, when I started this third business and just getting to a point where I could financially support myself, like, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying before, it, there, it was a huge fear of mine starting a business by myself. So when I got to a point where I was like, wow, I can like pay my bills and like go on vacation with the money I made for myself. Like that was such a empowering, proud moment for me. I am inspired by blank. I am inspired by people who believe in themselves with a freaking fire. Like, I think there's nothing more inspiring or empowering just to like witness that in someone and to kind of be uh, in a place where you can be a part of their journey. Like, I think that, you know, all of us individually, we have that now and then of like having that fire to like really go after something. But like, The fact that my job allows me to drop into that with multiple people is just like super inspiring and amazing. And I'm really grateful that I get to do it. I love it. And you have survived the top 10. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. So where can everyone follow you, the website, if you want to drop all that? Yeah. So my website is ascent-strategy.com. You'll, there's so much free stuff on there as far as blogs and free resources to help you with your business. Uh, I'm really active on Instagram. My Instagram is ascent with Sophia. And there I also have 
ton of tips. I'm, I'm always on Instagram stories, like doing mini classes. So yeah, those are the main two places to find me. Thank you so much for listening to my interview. Sophia, definitely check out her Instagram. It is super fun and full of tips and tricks. She's always on there providing value. And that is my Friday favorite today. Please subscribe to the podcast. If anything resonated with you today, please take a screenshot, share it on your story tag at Working Girl Talk, tag Sophia, leave a review, five stars, anything you have to say, we'd love to hear it. Thank you so, so much. I will talk to you next week.